And welcome to episode 53 of the Thodcast, conversations about animation. I'm your host, Philip Elke, and today I'm joined by my brother, Dawson. Hey, how's it going? Fantastic. We're here to discuss a movie that has virtually no animation in it. That's right. Uh, why are we talking about a live-action film with seemingly little animation? Well, happens to be the latest entry from... One of our favorite filmmakers, uh, Christopher Nolan. And um, it's clearly an epic, spectacular, effects-driven film. So, you know, it's, uh, and obviously we don't need to justify any reasoning behind diverting from our subtitle on the show, but um, I am excited to talk about Christopher Nolan with you, Dawson, because I think this is the first time he's really come up on the show um, there's obviously plenty to talk about with him. I, I would say he's kind of one of the most synonymous filmmakers with Hollywood. He, he really can just be a brand unto himself in a similar fashion to like a Spielberg or a Cameron. Um, f- few others are in that sort of league I would say, especially at that scale. At the big budget scale, exactly. Is yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so that being said, Dawson, have you seen Rock and Roll? <laughs> Rock and Roll. Uh, I watched the the review you sent me uh, from what's his name. Um, oh right, I, Saber Spark. He's a YouTuber who reviews <laughs> obscure animation. I've been sort I'm, of on a binge lately. I'm deeply intrigued, and I'm glad that channel exists because there's a lot of people with uh, memories in their head that they're not sure if they're real of. Uh, at least excerpts of animated films that do they even exist? Like I I loved the comment where he was like, this is a movie that I saw at 3am on TV and was never able to find again. And there are, there's a lot of that out there. So that's a, that's a gold mine of a channel. It's sort of its own little battle against uh, the Mandela effect, which certainly has plenty of relevance if we were to relate it to a, a Christopher Nolan concept. Um, I, I don't know if it's yeah, directly... Yeah, Nolan going to make his Bernstein Bears movie? <laughs> <laughs> Where the bears have, have to discover why their name... They all have this vague memory of their name being different, and they, they don't. <laughs> that is just meta on a whole psychedelic level beyond what most people would consider. <laughs> <laughs> it is a it is a direct adaptation of a Berenstein Bears uh, book, but it also addresses the Mandela effect. Like, yeah, that that is pretty ingenious. <laughs> I would love that. Um, yeah, I'm sure I think they it, would do that though nowadays. Everything's so postmodern and self-referential. I mean, Scooby, yeah, yeah. I didn't see the new Scooby Doo movie, but like, I didn't either. Happen. But the trailer just filled me with. Uh, um, stomach bile um, <laughs> I, uh, I hear trolls world tour is good those are not at all that i saw those two trailers for a film back to back and i was like one of these amazingly looks vastly superior to the other um but uh i there I, before i forget there there are two questions i think i have for you that if you want to get into them later we don't have mm-hmm. to answer them now but just mm-hmm. as the review goes on or towards the end if you want to think of them I, and that would be um 
I, maybe do we want to take the time to rank our Nolan films? I think that'd be fun. So that's the first yeah. question. And then I my was second considering, question. Yeah. yeah. My second question is um, what film would you like to see Christopher Nolan make? Oh, fun. I, I, uh, I think those are some interesting concepts to explore and uh, we'll get into that on this episode. I mean, I'll They're pretty uh, superficial yeah. compared to <laughs> what I am going to uh, stumble mm-hmm. through like a drunken, yeah um, i mean it's best not to dwell too heavily on a lot of the stuff that's po- posed posited in this film i mean uh, people can dwell as heavily as they want to or, or dig as deeply as they want to I'm, I'm i'm not gonna tell anyone you're wasting your time if you need to you know go through the movie frame by frame and mm-hmm. if that gets you on a big like you know f- physics binge i'm not gonna do that and i <laughs> um yeah. That's not well. Let we'll get into it, Philip. Well, well yeah. What, what I mean, do you think? What do you think of Tenet? I could do a three-hour podcast, but you know, I I don't know if anyone oh, else like, is oh, today. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, exactly. I, yeah, unfortunately, the, I, no. I listen to plenty of podcasts that have gone over the three-hour mark, but I do want to lay out kind of the sci-fi premise that was probably the initial like inspiration for this film sort of like the i don't know screen rant pitch meeting guy ryan george or whatever like the, the his sort of one sentence elevator pitch summation of what this movie is and that is um you know what if we made a movie that played forwards and backwards at the same time um does that sound that sounds good that sounds right to me and um a sort of oversimplified summary of what I thought, you know, a big inspiration for the film was when I left, it seemed like Nolan and probably his brother were like just brainstorming and um, they came up with, or he came up with, someone came up with a handful of scenes that were, they thought, oh my gosh, that's so crazy and insane and dope and epic. We got to make a movie around that. Um, so I, I think several of the, the scenes seemed like landmarks that they, they tried to construct a story around and weren't unsuccessful in my opinion. Um, and, uh, yeah. Um, and again, and then that's probably not doing them enough credit. Apparently it took Christopher Nolan just like 10 years to, to fully wrap his mind around the concept before he was even able to lay it out in story form which that took him like five years as well um so you know i don't i i don't know if the if some of the big set piece action moments that are insane um happened first or if they came out of the development of of that central core concept which yes i think is entropy and then it got tied to time and from how the screen ran article that you and i have both i mean i've skimmed it really but um they're not necessarily correlated uh entropy we're we're not doing ourselves the greatest of favors by citing screen rant as a primary source see Uh, i've never i've never read a screen rant article i just googled uh uh the science of tenant and you know it so it cites some um scientists i guess uh it's a very poppy you know media reporting website um which normally i hate but who else i mean what i i don't know what else to turn to and you know a day after the a day after i've seen the movie after it's yeah they do plenty of good stuff yeah 
No, um, I, I, I hope, I hope they're terrible. Like, I want them to be. No, I, I and I love like Ryan George. The pitch meeting videos are genius, you know, definitively. Um, but you know, there's some other kind of trashier stuff, you know, that is, is just more for undoubtedly like, clickbait, you know, type of purposes. Yes, all of which I despise. But uh, <laughs> a simple article titled "The Science of Tenet Explained." Simple. Um. You know, that, that's not necessary. I'm not going to, yeah, whatever. No, that could, it's, it's it could good. be fine. Um, a, a, a diamond in the rough, so to speak. Um, but yeah, uh, let's, I guess let's talk about Tenet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my brain is sounding a little bit scrambled on this episode. It's not without good reason. No, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I blame no one. I blame, I, my wife and I, we tried to put our big brains on. Like before going to this movie, we were like, we are going to be so focused, so concentrated. We are going to understand this. And I did not. I, I like, I mean, yeah, I was a mess after the film. It's mm. so insane. And I don't blame, I, I, there's no one who could walk out of this going, yeah, I followed that exactly, like perfectly. Now, right off the bat, I'm going to say that this was not aided by the awful sound quality. Mm. I could not understand a lot of what was said in key moments, especially mm. with uh the i'm sorry lady i don't know all their names the main character's name is protagonist um but (laughs) john um, david washington yeah john david washington elizabeth debicki elizabeth debicki okay six foot three i think (laughs) she's She's awesome i I mean she was a phenomenal actress i just couldn't i I had no idea so all of a sudden Mm -hmm. they were like um time inversion painting heist at an airport and i was like okay i mean i am lost I'm completely lost, but everything looks so cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, the yeah, the sound mixing in Nolan's films isn't always the greatest, and a lot of times he intends his films for large format, premium viewing in IMAX screens or or something similar, uh, and and most you know exhibition screenings are just you know most your typical theater doesn't have necessarily the equipment that you know is designed to best handle a christopher nolan film dolby digital fifth dimensional sound no yeah yeah that. but i i wish they did a better job kind of yeah moderating the mix to where dialogue isn't so heavily drowned out by the ambient noise it, it is it, it does get clunky at times and it, it is a aesthetic that's a little bit characteristic of Christopher Nolan who does I find have a very unique aesthetic overall yes it's an aesthetic that I I love uh, his cinematography how natural it looks just mm-hmm. the the way things flow into each other the the editing and inception how everything it feels so dreamlike because of the way things just cut to each other hmm. um on unpresumptuous it also seems so plain at times yes like, mm-hmm. and i kind of love that i it reminds me of great movies um like the difference between what harry potter and the sorcerer's stone looked like versus harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban for instance like the oh, prisoner sure. of azkaban's azkaban was green like that mm-hmm. was a very and the book cover was green so i understand I guess this most superficial level of the idea of why they did that. Yeah. But um, anyway, yeah, I don't know if that it makes sense. Well, any- it was a different crew, essentially. Um, I think, you know, you had Dar- uh, Alfonso Cuaron, who did uh, Azkaban, who's known as much more auteurist uh, in his sensibility versus uh, more of a Hollywood type Chris, um, Chris Columbus, who did the first two. 
Uh, so that's a bit more conventional, um, you know, objective. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of modern film cinematography. This is not something I've been able to find a lot of discussion about, actually. But I have this just gut feeling when I watch a lot of movies that they look like they've just been run through a filter, like a Mm-hmm. A weird, colorful. Yeah. So, like a lot of things look like they've just been drenched in computer graphics. When I they haven't necessarily. It's just the color grading, or um, you know, even like that show Ozark. People really love, and mm-hmm. all of the marketing for that movie is blue. Like the, it looks like a blue world. That was a good show. I I um, follow that show. Okay, is it is the rest is the film like that? Like, does it does everything take place at? Sun and they down. they go full Eiffel 65. It is pretty blue the, the whole way through. And I think like that would be aesthetically interesting and would contribute to the tone and, and everything for a while. But mm-hmm. 24-7, no, that drive me crazy because that's just not yeah. what life looks like. Not all. They do break it up with scenes that are you know, very clearly in the daylight. And, you know, you get a sense of the green and wilderness of, you know the midwest um you know central or i guess um the ozarks in yeah i think there's in central missouri um but yeah it's um there's just a lot of uh, it's just the way it's shot it's a darker themed show so yeah you know it's designed to have a bit of a a darker pallor uh i i did just watch movies like back to the future just don't have any of that like it it seems like me whether it's predator or maybe oh God, i haven't seen i don't that. think uh back to the future was even shot on anamorphic i think they used round lenses because it is a boxier frame um it's not you know the the you know extremely wide you know widescreen if you know which was sort of notable um in like the early days of dvds where you know you had to sort of compromise as to whether or you know, you wanted to to go full screen or widescreen, and then yeah. Back to the Future widescreen was noticeably not nearly as like you know uh, letterboxed as other widescreen films hmm. uh, because of the way that was shot. Uh, but I I did just watch a video about this subject. You know, that's impressive between, that you know yeah. that the. Um, I, I watched a similar one on the dress. The difference between the the ratio and Jurassic Park versus um, Fallen World and Fallen Kingdom is really okay. interesting. Oh yeah, I, the uh, aspect ratio. Yeah, that'd be interesting to take note of, and uh, that is such a key aspect of filmmaking that I don't typically pay as much attention to because I'm more engrossed in like the story and the writing. Yeah, and I know I don't think I ever would have, but I, I I clicked on that video and I was like, holy crap, there there it is, like that. You know, I I don't think it is probably the hugest yeah. thing ever but yeah certain styles of and tones of movie definitely fit uh yeah. aspect well, you know the cohen brothers you know very uh, artistic filmmakers and oh yeah but they uh often hire roger deakins to do their cinematography and he's he does tons of blockbusters um and he wasn't available for their film inside lewin davis uh with oscar isaac so that film has a much different aesthetic. It's not nearly as saturated. Um, the contrast is kind of washed out because that is a, the cinematographer they hired for that film has a very specific aesthetic. Yeah. Um, and that I think is the same cinematographer uh, who did uh, Prisoner of Azkaban as well. Oh. So 
just made me think of that. Um, Azkaban's good. Uh, I'm amazing. I think actually, um, yeah. things really start to look weird in Harry Potter, starting with I think Order of the Phoenix. Um, mm-hmm. But not and not even necessarily bad. I'd but. have to watch Azkaban again because I I guess my problem with that film that I've always had is like the it seemed turner. to well it, it seemed to leave out a lot it just seemed kind of short it probably isn't it's probably longer than the first two I don't know well actually no because I think um, Chamber of Secrets is the longest running of all yes. the films Chamber um, of Secrets is mesmerizing <laughs> it's it's a film a lot of people find a little too schmaltzy and like but but I yeah to me it it does it take you on a bit of a journey which i appreciate tie into tenet w- did you even like notice that kenneth branagh was the bad guy oh like, yeah i, I, I mean, mean from I, the first trailer well, obviously I, I knew it was him and the moment he appeared on screen i was like yes that's kenneth branagh but his acting instantly oh. made me forget that it was and i just was i was seeing this this russian guy yeah. like um he i don't know it it's crazy that he and Gilderoy Lockhart are the same person. Yeah, I guess in the first, I, I don't think I necessarily made the connection that he was the villain until I was in the theaters and they didn't even have to show him up on screen. I was like, oh, this, um, what's his name? The uh, Seder character that they're yeah. talking about. That must be the uh, Kenneth Branagh character. It, it um, is. Yeah. yeah, well, and, it is, yeah. Right. And his, his acting, he just kind of, his face would like morph into sort of a, a, a Lee Schreiber-esque mm. expression that like, I, I there was a, a moment of fleeting doubt where I was like, is that Kenneth? <laughs> and oh, it, it, yeah. Incredible performance. Has he been? Oh, he was in, um, Dunkirk. in Dunkirk. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I, I hope he's not phasing Michael Caine out for Kenneth Branagh. That would be <laughs> disappointing. I... I thought Michael Caine in this one was a little much, to be honest. I don't know if you thought the same. Um, I mean, well, I'm I don't have a problem with Michael Caine just continuing to be a main character. So it, it's it was I agree it was weirder that he was a minor character than That's if he would have been a main character. I I would have been more comfortable if Michael Caine had a bigger presence in this film, um, which is perhaps even more auspicious than just kind of having him around doing like good luck charm style cameos. I, I kind of, he's just such a presence that I want him to have those media roles. Right. He could have been the guy in the beginning uh, who I, I, I don't understand really that character or how that all come. Yeah. The guy who inducts Tenet into Tenet and yeah. then is never seen again. Martin Donovan credited as Faye. Um, yeah, he's sort of the CIA contact. Um, yes, I mean, you can get into the plot a little bit here, obviously. <laughs> if you can. Um, no, I, I'm, ultimately, Christopher Nolan's films have a tremendous guise of sophistication, and, and they are sophisticated films. And they're no. really just dumb popcorn <laughs> munchers. I mean, they're... I think they purport to be more sophisticated than they they are at heart. I think Christopher Nolan, he, he is a uh, an entertainer at heart, kind of like Steven Spielberg. I, I think he yes. does have that spirit of wonder, and yes. this love of fan- fantasy, you know, that you get from from a lot of the pulpier type um, filmmakers. 
completely agree. But he does have this very stripped down style. This, I, um, you know, I, I would almost call it um, antiseptic, you know, sort of uh, pristine or, or um, s- sterile sort of sensibility. Uh, not, you know, to the point of it being, you know, un- not fun to watch, um, no. but it's just, it's so deliberate. Everything is kind of, yeah, meticulous. He brings, he brings realism to surrealism. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, it's so real that it's surreal. It's more real than real. I don't know. Wow. Um, but, that's a very, that's a very Nolan-esque concept just in, in the design. Philosophy. I was going to fact check a couple things from our last episode, actually on, on Mulan. And then one was my use of this, this just like made up phrase. I, uh, I coined called uh, cinema veritas, which is a play on uh, cinema verite, which I think if I Google it here, it's just like a very, I, I think it's French, but, you know, show, showing truth, uh, life as it plays out in the real world, I guess. Oh, like movies of people just going to the grocery store and brushing yeah. their teeth. <laughs> uh, French film movement, which took place in the 60s. This film movement forced the movie industry to pay more attention to incorporating natural actions and authentic dialogue. Oh, that's that's pretty cool, actually. That is really cool. Uh, does that help explain the the transition from the the mid Atlantic, the very uh, acting, my acting style, my acting delivery is so important hmm. to you know what now in acting we try to move toward, which is just is pure naturalism. I can't say I don't know what you speak of. Oh well, like <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm I'm trying to uh, put on an affect here. Oh, 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 <laughs> darling, I can't Tell say me understand what you're speaking of. <laughs> of which you speak, yes. <laughs> what could this possibly mean? Um, no, what yeah, mind, for sure. Darling? Uh, Marlon Brando, I think, was kind of a pioneer. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. of course. Uh, but, yeah, Verite is very, you know, uh, much more French-centric. Uh, Veritas, just d- derived from the same root as verite means truth in greek or whatever uh a a better term to use is verisimilitude which is i love that (laughs) yeah trying to capture reality that's essentially because like in broadway you know you have black guys playing the founding fathers and it's fine because you already have that layer of separation between the performance and the audience you're watching a stage you know it's, it's not like you're trying to maintain this firm uh you know, fourth wall, this separation or, you know, suspension of disbelief. Uh, it's a Broadway play. I can do whatever it wants. Yeah. Uh, but with cats. film, <laughs> well, and, and I'm sure there's even plenty of schools of film that take a similar approach to Broadway. And I mean, Mel Brooks film, for example, like constantly breaking the fourth wall, uh, Monty Python. I mean, but maybe even I. I don't know. Can you name any films that take a similar approach to Broadway, where they'll just cast a, a woman as a male and make no attempt to disguise it? I, I guess a movie like Hairspray or something. You know, broad musical comedies. Oh, like yeah, that. yeah. You know that because like because John Travolta's done it. Um, yeah. They. There are. Well, in in the Broadway Matilda, they do that with the Trunchbull character. I don't think they do that with the um, 
I don't think that's how it is in the movie. It's a woman playing it's, trench coat. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, no, uh, that that John Travolta example is is really good. Uh, Norbit. Um, yeah. I never saw Norbit, but sort of those um, fat suit roles. <laughs> um, well, Eddie Murphy, fat, fat the clumps. Woman. Uh, oh, um, gosh. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Medea. <laughs> the Medea films. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tyler Perry does look very convincing so, in that. So you can, of course. It's not, that's not common in film. Um, and yeah, no, there's a, and film and, th- film and theater, they are really very different. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a good thing because it keeps theater relevant, frankly. Mm hmm. Because theaters basically irrelevant. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's unfortunately closed right now. Yeah. And who knows when it'll reopen. So my heart goes out to all the actors who are out of work, right, out of work right now. I don't know what kind of recourse that they have. They're having to move they home with their parents. <laughs> socially distanced Shakespeare. It doesn't work. Stop no. trying. There's probably good unemployment packages and things like that. I'm sure they're all part of a union oh, yeah. and such. Yeah. Or get a yeah well yeah day trade on on the stock market or something <laughs> um but yeah. anyway i'm not so I, tenet, no sorry the broadway musical um is uh the most astonishing uh set design and effects that broadway has ever seen since harry potter and the curse of child that should be my submission for the next christopher nolan project he should tackle broadway uh I, but oh, one other fact check is that uh, J- Jason Scott Lee movie, The Jungle Book. I don't think that was the movie you were referring to because oh, I, I remember watching this other Jungle Book adaptation. It was like a made-for-TV film where the animals actually did talk. They had that passive voiceover. Yeah, um, that okay. was those are different. Mowgli story. Oh, I'm in, I'm not mad at myself for not knowing That's that, fine. but I'm embarrassed nonetheless. But yeah. we don't edit. No, we do so edit, but we direct to video. Okay. I I'm I don't edit these a ton, you know. I, I like to keep things organic, but you know, I I, I like to fact check when I get when I get a yeah, chance. I mean, and, if you were uh, doing a sol- if you were doing a solo podcast where you could just record your re-record yourself and, and yeah. you know whatever. That's there are like forums online where people ask like, do you edit out all the ums from your podcast? It's like, I guess it's up to your aesthetic, you know. Uh, what, what you are, whatever you're trying to go for. My aesthetic I, is harmless. Also, the fact that I mentioned like Nikki Carroll being the second female director to have a hundred million dollar budgeted film uh, with Mulan, uh, that's under the Disney umbrella, not in Hollywood. Period. Um, other female directors have had hundred million dollar films um, at Disney. It's been. Ava DuVernay with um, Wrinkle in Time, and then Nikki Carroll with uh, Mulan. But there was also Captain Marvel, which um, had uh, male, female co-directors, which was over $100 million budget as well. Um, but since you know there was a male co-director, then I didn't count that. Um, so that's what I meant. All right. Sorry to talk. <laughs> this has been the fact check segment. Well, on. and now back to Tenet. Yeah, this movie obviously had a huge budget because it was, as you said, built around a series of set pieces. Um, I'm sure some of these set pieces were conceived before there really was a full arc in place. Um, this movie is only credited to Christopher Nolan in terms of writing, uh, although I'm sure he probably conferred with his brother Jonathan on a lot of the aspects of it. 
Not except they've been estranged ever since the dismal failure that was the Dark Knight Rises. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Um, Jonathan's been busy working on other things. He does TV now. He's a showrunner on Westworld, I believe. So, yeah. Um, So I I cannot commend enough. I, I, I commend this, the work that went into this film. I can com- mm-hmm. I commend as much as or above maybe any film that's ever been made. I th- this film just looked insanely strenuous and difficult to make. Um, I cannot imagine all the pre-planning, all of the storyboarding, all of the um, effects, all of the uh, safety pre- measures, all of the the acting, the choreo, the the rehearsals. Um, I Jonathan David Washington. I mean, dude, like. <laughs> <laughs> how could you how long did it take to even like understand what they were trying to tell you before you could even like i don't i just don't know you know how they just what they did what they did it's a it's a feat it's a marvel of humanity to have a fight with someone moving backwards and mm-hmm. dodging reverse gunshots and planning for all of that having right. a reverse action scene yeah. is like it's insane. And it's that too much. It was, fight. Yeah. it was too much for my senses. It, it was all absurd. Um, and, you know, just like I got, uh, well, I'm talking about the, the finale. The finale was so, I'm not going to talk about details, but it was so insane and it was so absurd that like I was just, I was in awe of the work it took to make it, but it, it just like it was impossible to like fully ap- appreciate and take in narrative. I, I was never... I was never emotionally invested in the film. I was always engaged and blown away by the craftsmanship of the film. I think well, that's fair to say. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think it's sometimes hard to engage with Christopher Nolan films because uh, they do maybe seem a little emotionally distant at times. Inception for sh- is that is a for sure not that for me. okay good um i yeah and i th- inception is my favorite Nolan film and okay. i think i think no one perfected the emotional to um intellectual or uh mechanical kind of the, the emotion to the mechanics and and everything i think was a perfect balance um mm-hmm. and then interstellar fell off of that a little bit uh and then even dunkirk it was sadly because i i, I really wanted to to be emotionally inspired by, you know, that the wonderful event that was um, what happened at Dunkirk. But I think Nolan putting his weird timey spin on Dunkirk kind of like detracted from the, the core of that story. But that's a, that's another discussion. Yeah. I, I only saw, I think I've only seen Dunkirk once and it Same. didn't oh, stick with I did me. See it yeah. I, I got to revisit that. Um, Cause it, it wasn't maybe a little, underwhelming compared to what you know I was, I was hoping for from a typical Christopher Nolan film and I think a lot of people maybe felt the same way but he, he was clearly going for something a bit different than his usual shtick uh, which is which is good I, I love it you know yeah um, this that he uh, did that. the music actually is was interesting and you, we, you brought up the sound mix um, I, I did enjoy the soundtrack for this it was just so like intense and you know, relentless i thought yeah it fit it, it really fit effectively i i was trying to figure out and then again and not that this is a problem but like i was this i the soundtrack made me notice it and then wonder if it was like being played in reverse mm. 
It's uh, Lud- Ludwig uh, Goransson. He's, uh, he's from Sweden. And he does the music for Mandalorian. He's got kind of a very album. That's what it was. I knew I recognized it. Good stuff, Ludwig. Yeah, he's great. Um, I see here he's credited on the Childish Gambino. Uh, w- 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 this is America. <laughs> oh. Yeah, his viral. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, so I wonder if he composed that because it's just that's just such a bizarre sounding mm-hmm. song, especially for a pop song. Um, but yeah, uh, so kudos to Ludwig. I think he's got one Oscar. So um, congrats, well man. on his way. Um, but yeah, the the soundtrack did seem to evoke. Um, like a Geiger counter, I thought. And this movie has a lot of themes related to either nuclear arms and um, radiation, things like that. The, the atom, essentially. Yes. Uh, a nuclear, it, the, the arc of the threat and the conceit of the film begins with nuclear atomic and then that affects time, which then affects the fate of the world and and apparently the environment i missed i missed that but mm-hmm. um yes and so nu- a nuclear threat evolves or is tied into or creates this this time threat or in, yeah. and then that's all managed by an algorithm um i saw really a funny comment that said the word algorithm needs to be banned until it means something again <laughs> um <laughs> yeah uh and uh and a, a moment of I, I, there's a, there, well, there's an interesting, I, I don't, okay. MacGuffin, there's some MacGuffin stuff that happens. Mm -hmm. Like the, the plot was, it was, it was not as straightforward about what I thought the movie was going to be about. There were a lot, there was a lot of James Bondy. I need to go here to get the thing, to do the thing, to get the thing that does the thing. And then when it kind of culminated in a character saying, and so it was divided into nine pieces and hid throughout the realm. I kind of laughed in the theater. I was like, <laughs> oh, of course it was divided into nine pieces. Like, and, but then, Working and then it's like. Men who above all else desire power. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of technical jargon that this movie kind of throws around and to varying degrees of accuracy as that one article outlines and, uh, Nolan collaborated on this film with um, the same scientific collaborator for Interstellar, Kip Thorne. Um, he's a astrophysic astrophysicist. Uh, so, yeah, just different um, principles surrounding uh, the flow of time <laughs> and uh, how I, I guess the laws of relativity. Uh, are very relevant here. Um, I mentioned uh, Ludwig Göransson uh, got an Oscar. That was for Black Panther, by the way. Uh, Sick. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And and like that that Geiger counter effect kind of resembles trap music in a way. Like you know a lot of modern rap that uses that synthesized drum beat, just very rapid. You know, faster than a person could probably play. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if that was like a reference to the fact that this is a Black 
protagonists in this film, which I thought was really cool. I mean, this film pokes a little bit at some cultural issues like race and uh, feminism. You know, you had the, well, both in the Debicki character and then the arms dealer who uses her husband as a front for her operation. It was kind of interesting. Um, and, but ultimately, this is a backdoor environmentalism movie, <laughs> most heavily. Uh, I don't know if you thought Which that. Which I was... missed? No, I, I, I completely missed that. Oh, okay. I know they they reference the you know fact that the world is has been ravaged in the future, which I suppose at some point, no matter how distant you know we we want to go, you could say that you know the earth or parts of it will probably be rendered uh, fairly inhospitable, no matter how you look at it. I don't know. I in, I would hope yeah. Six billion years, the sun is going to. Turn into a white dwarf, rendering all life inhospitable. On the well, yeah, I think the presumption is that it's, you know, within the next couple hundred years minimum or maximum. Um, so, yeah, you never know. Like, cause... Well, within, within John David uh, protagonist's lifetime, right? Because he sends... Okay, and that's... Yeah, I don't oh, think my so. Gosh. There, were, there, was, there was the... Entering the inverted realm, which you needed to be in a little bubble, you needed your own oxygen tanker and everything. And then there was just going straight up back in time, like the the lady did, like uh, Juniper, um, Gaspacho. What? Debicki. Oh, oh, okay. Um, yeah. She goes straight back in time. And then uh, Robert Pattinson's character does. Well, yeah, they... I, I don't know. There's a lot of different time travel events that occur. Um, Debicki doesn't go back in time until towards the end, right? And then mm. she returns back to a moment that she references earlier in the film. Um, and, and I thought that was maybe her only instance of uh, time inversion. Um, yeah, well, and we'll be getting into some spoilers here just uh, because... The, the movie moves in somewhat of, of a non-linear fashion and you don't quite realize it from the start uh, just how non-linear this is this is truly a right. movie that does move both forwards and backwards in time simultaneously um, throughout the entire film starting with like the opening action sequence set at this um, the opera or it's a it's a symphony orchestra and that was an interesting you know, concept for a set piece to begin with, just uh, yeah, the fact that it's a or you know an opera that's being attacked by terrorists or something. Yeah. I, why there definitely was a question eventually. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's very operatic, uh, very James Bondy, and very. Uh, it felt like a like the Dark Knight opening kind of not. I mean, just in the. People running through yeah. hallways. Well, there are multiple heists. I, yeah. I just love how this movie <laughs> pulled off several heists in the course of one. They're like they're like four heist sequences in one film, which in yes. itself is very impressive. <laughs> and I loved it. A little maybe over the top, but impressive. Um, what what did you think of the money plane? Um, no, I mean uh, the secret. <laughs> money plane um secret uh art storage unit in the airport 
Uh, that was a cool concept. I mean, I certainly bought into the sort of tax haven, you know, utility of a warehouse like that, like a, um, you know, what, what do they call that? You, uh, duty free, uh, warehouse where you can view art, <laughs> but it's not on any particular sovereign soil. So they don't have to pay taxes or whatever. Was it specifically, was it specifically for art or could you put anything in there that you, it looked like it was specifically for art. Well, the, those buildings, cause you could build just a warehouse and have it be duty free. But those ones were specifically designed so that you could put art on display. It wasn't just a, your typical warehouse, you know, boring, yeah. just cement and, you know, and metal bracing. Um, and then, yeah, it had those layers on the inside. It's kind of, it's like the Pentagon type security. Just uh, you've got those inner layers um, that get deeper and deeper until there's that mystery box, the JJ Abrams mystery box at the center. And they need to pull off this crazy heist involving, you know, the 70, 747 uh, yeah, airplane. It, it did seem like the reason this uh, secret art gallery is in an airport is so that we can crash a plane into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you know, it, it makes sense that this would be something that people who, you know, live their lives on the high roller scale, constantly jet setting and... Well, then you know what it should have been. It should have been yeah. the art plane. A plane <laughs> that's always in the air with art on it. <laughs> that's yeah. landing at different places. You call the art plane and it lands and you put your art... I don't know. That's well, obviously... So we they find out a plane heist. Yeah, we find out early on that inside this mystery box is a... An interesting Christopher Nolan-y device uh, that, you know, once you go through it, you come out the other side and time flows in reverse from when you first went in. Um, so I do think yeah. if, there, if there was one scene that I would say was the whole film was built around, it was no one going, oh my gosh, what if there was an interrogation scene where a guy is having a conversation with someone moving backward in time? <laughs> That that moment, that the sheer just bonkerness of that scene, where he's having a conversation with someone across a gla glass wall, and across the glass wall, this fellow is moving backwards in time, and his he's speaking to John David Washington's character in yeah. backwards, and it's being translated translated into forwards in a speaker on his side. And I, I just, I couldn't, I, I think I, that, that broke my brain. Like I couldn't comprehend yeah. how they even got in that situation. This movie incorporates a lot of creative uses of warehouses and shipping containers. <laughs> uh, and uh, yes. all good places to live if you're uh, on tight on cash. And I think share some similarities with other Christopher Nolan films as well. I mean, the Bat Cave in starting in Dark Knight is basically this underground warehouse underneath a shipping um, harbor. <laughs> the entrance to it is a shipping container. Uh, in Batman Begins, you have that microwave emitter device uh, that's revealed in a shipping container. Uh, another just bizarre, fantastical, fantastical yet like 
surprisingly plausible piece of technology. Like you kind of buy into it when you're watching it, but it's not something that exists nor probably will ever exist because it's like, if this is a device that's designed to vaporize water, then of course, why doesn't it vaporize the water within the human body, <laughs> instantly killing everyone in its immediate vicinity? Um, but maybe that has to do with like, the concentration of water within the human body being different from the targeted water supply that um, it was designed to vaporize in its military application. Um, so y there, there are scientific ways of like working around some of these seeming plot holes. Um, and, and like in this film, the, uh, the device that inverts time these turnstiles, um, you know, there's questions of like, so what does this do? Does it turn the person who, or the objects that go in into like antimatter that then, you know, go backwards in, in time? Because like that's, that's sometimes posited as like the actual science behind Tenet that um, things like antimatter particles are just regular particles that are going backwards in time because they have like negative entropy relative to traditional particles. And would you like to explain what entropy is? Well, or, uh, uh, the basic. Uh, uh, well, I was just going to say like, if, if these were, if the objects leaving the turnstiles were composed of antimatter, I guess what would happen in reality is that they would create just this massive release of energy upon contact with the outside world that would, you know, feasibly wipe out all of life on the planet because of, um, you know, 200 pounds worth of antimatter, which is the approximate weight of the protagonist, um, is enough to like generate, you know, 3,800 megatons. Of yeah. See, and I'm, I'm scared now, like in ways I haven't been before of, what scientists around the world are doing because if they're messing around with particle accelerators and such like one day we could all just explode and that would be it and it'd be because some goof in a lab coat <laughs> just like oh antimatter oh no gone yeah i don't know i mean they take a lot of precautions i i would hope that they would use their expertise uh, for we're good and, and not for with the weave with the ether yeah. it requires caution i mean maybe there are corrective measures to the universe that are beyond our comprehension maybe there are forces that are kind of pulling the strings uh string theory another concept in this sort of realm of theoretical physics uh but yeah like just this closed system of entropy that is created when objects go through the turnstile that then suddenly make these objects function in reverse um, you know, it, it, it is just something that is, you know, maybe theoretically possible, but very unlikely and, um, involves a lot of <laughs> just, uh, imagination first and foremost. Yeah. Um, but playing with the rules of entropy, like I said, um, which entropy is just the tendency for energy within a physical system you know, a physical system is just anything that contains matter, energy, you know, um, um, particles, particles, <laughs> particle, everything, every object in the universe, basically, 
you know, is composed of matter and, and matter is composed of, you know, protons, neutrons, electrons. Um, and those uh, particles have energy. Um, and sometimes that energy is excited and sometimes it's depressed. Um, and objects will tend to go from a state of greater excitement to a state of greater or a state of lower excitement, lower energy, basically. Um, or at least they, they want to get there. And in order to get there, they release a lot of entropy, thus raising the temperature of their surroundings. So when, when a room is very warm, you would say, you'd say it's in a state of high entropy because there's a lot of energy being released. There's a lot of disorder or... Um, I, you know, entropy is conflated with disorder a lot of times because um, uh, it's, you know, because objects that are solid, for example, are in a state of higher entropy. No, sorry, not higher entropy. Oh, solids have a lower entropy. Um, they, they have more potential energy, but a lower entropy because they're they're less disordered. Yeah, so, so solids are low entropy. And then as as things get warmer, they get higher entropy. Uh, but because I have small brain, I like the, the pictures that people paint for me. Um, and just the, the idea that, and according to our screen rant article, which is unreliable because screen rant sucks. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But um, the, uh, the idea that there are in physics, there are lots of things that go from one state of energy to another and back again. Um, and, uh, but that, so, but then other things don't like you, you break the ice, like theoretically there, the, the chance that that ice wouldn't just reform into its original block after being shadowed, shattered, it's not zero. Um, um, much like your chance of being killed by a horse in a stairwell is low, but it's never zero. Um, you, I yeah. guess from a, a physics perspective, but not it's, necessarily. It's, it's impossible, but it, physically it's technically not zero. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's sort of uh, one of those mathematical properties of translation and transcription, essentially, you know, if you look at it yourself in the mirror, you are congruent to that object that you're seeing in the mirror, even though, you know, you and the mirror image that you see of you, you know, can't ever coexist in the same reality because, um, well, for one, <laughs> uh, you, you, because it's just fundamentally different to have one side of your body, you know, that's totally inverted from from the other. Now, that should be Christopher oh, Nolan's next movie. That girl I see <laughs> staring. Talking about Mulan now. Yeah. How is she? How does my Nolan's next movie even... should be about mirrors and the mirror dimension. Um, he, should, he should direct a Doctor Strange movie. Is that your answer to that question? Uh, yes. Okay. But he, you, sure? you know, he you has used well. He has used some similar sci-fi concepts in the past too. Like I the mentioned, prestige. the microwave emitter device. But there's also that device in the Prestige, which is which was his film after. Duplicator. Yeah, his film after Batman Begins. I don't um, have strong memories of the Prestige. I saw it a long time ago, but that was another one that it's they're emotional memories. So like that film had a deep emotional resonance yeah. with me. Well, thinking of seeing my reflection in the mirror and imagining that reflection existing in the same, you know, world as myself, 
uh, you know, bringing it into the real world. Like, what would that be like to have a twin? I mean, you only know if you are an identical twin, which is crazy to think that that is a phenomenon that does exist in the real world. Uh, yes. But <laughs> um, in in the, the Prestige, Nikola Tesla, that film is kind of a love letter to Nikola Tesla. And so great that they got David Bowie, of all people, to play Nikola Tesla. I'm something sorry, I do not remember that. That's insane. <laughs> I cannot. I remember Smeagol, um, Andy Serkis. Oh, yes. But I do not remember when they finally reveal Tesla himself. Who that and actually is. That's incredible. You can barely tell it is uh, David Bowie. He just disappears into this role. It, it is insane. Um, but he uh, you know, builds this device that's capable of perfectly replicating any matter. Uh, you know, whether it's just an everyday object or a person. And my mind was just so blown open by this concept because like you create a perfect duplicate of yourself. Well, that duplicate, it just assumes that it's you, but it's not you because you're, you're still you. So which one of you is like right. the real? <laughs> which one of you is the real you? And That's a big question. I don't know if you've heard of the video game Soma, but if you're intrigued by that concept, I would recommend checking it out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, well you mentioned just... you mentioned twins, and obviously, so like twins, they have they're they're identical genetically, etc. But you know, they're born and they're they're separate from the beginning, and so thus they grow differently. They have experiences and thoughts that are completely different. But the duplication that's that duplicate of you has all the memories, all the experiences, all the the physical makeup of you, exact like that is you until the moment that it appears. And then from them, you, from then you have diverging memories and ex experiences that you create. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, gosh, it's, an, it's yeah. insane. It's and, where he's like, I never knew after performing the trick, if I would be the one in the pot, like the one in the day. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, to go cow. even deeper down the metaphysical rabbit hole and spoiler alert, but for, you know, a, a 15 year old film, but it, uh, you know, Hugh Jackman's character, like, he does kill one of the duplicate or what he does is essentially commit suicide and then goes on as the duplicate. So it's like, is he fully experiencing this death? I mean, and, and it would just be once and then you're done. And then you're what in the afterlife. And then you're in the afterlife realizing, you know, supposing there is an afterlife, realizing that there is this duplicate of you who has like all the same thoughts and emotions, but, but it's not you. So why would you yeah. ever commit suicide? Is he committing suicide? I don't, I don't remember him committing suicide. I, I, so if he does, wow. I, I just, I thought I remember him like not know. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, even I don't. I'm all shaken up. It is interesting. Cause like, how does he know where the duplicate is going to appear? also when he's doing the trick like is there a way to program that on the device because it seemed like when tesla was first demonstrating the device the duplicate objects would just show up in a random place but maybe there's a way to specify where the duplicate shows up yeah and, and I, I don't yeah. feel very comfortable talking about that film anymore without with how little i remember but just yeah i don't know i spent a lot of time thinking about that whole idea because it does seem like the original Hugh Jackman has long since you know gone by the wayside in his performance of that trick um, so it's like what made him decide that I'm going to you know potentially not 
continue on and let my duplicate take over for me. Maybe, um, or, or is that even what happened? Maybe not. Maybe it's a, well, from that description, it sounds perhaps analogous to the significance people place on like legacy and like making sure that like my name lives on or my family lives on or, you know, that kind of thing where it's like, well, you're not going to be around, but that you, what comes after you is like, you hold that as, as so significant. It, it's almost as if you yourself are going on. And, and I don't think that's yeah. like a wrong thing to place an emphasis on. Or, um, or does this consciousness just remerge with the surviving duplicate? <laughs> that's that's like an maybe, interesting idea you know. too. Um, but we should get back to tenant. I, I, yeah. I'm like, I'm, I, yeah, I, I shouldn't, I've, I've got some things. Playing, playing with time. Nolan seems particularly fascinated with time throughout his films. Uh, some people say this also comes into play in Dunkirk as well. I think you maybe mentioned earlier. Yes, he, he makes it timey-wimey. Yeah, um, okay. Because from the different perspectives, so like I, it, I guess how time felt to the different people, um, you know, how, how did the passage of time contribute to the events from the perspective of the pilot, from the perspective of the soldiers on the ground, and from the perspective of the officers on the beach and everything, like, and, the, and then the sailors... Anyway, yeah. So, like I said, that I, I don't know. I'm small, but yeah. so if that, but it just to me, it was like you're trying to make this. Well, it had weird time, like you know. Time, oh gosh. Well, it's much I'm, more directly addressed in Inception and Interstellar. So this is sort of the third in kind of a, a trilogy, I guess, a, a temporal trilogy, um, beginning with Inception. And now capping off with this, just these very uh, odd, ambitious, time-centric uh, sci-fi films. Um, you know, his first film, Memento, was about a guy with amnesia, and that story is told in a non-linear fashion. Um, so it has plenty of similarities to this movie. Um, and then his second major, I, his technically his first film was this like very low budget indie movie called following but that never got like a real wide release or anything um, back to uh, very quick if i may um like we've said nolan he's he's still a, making these big budget action movies and there is a certain sort and sim a certain simplicity and innocence to it just and then they they are intellectual and deep but they're still big budget action movies he did kind of begin as an indie uh, surrealist in a sense yeah. right yeah well his second or yeah the the movie after memento was one called insomnia with al pacino and robin williams where al pacino has insomnia but he's investing investigating a crime in the arctic circle where the sun doesn't set <laughs> robin so, williams is in a christopher nolan film yeah yeah it's really good yeah if you oh, haven't wow. seen insomnia you got to check it out um, I haven't seen the following or Insomnia. I, I started. I have seen Memento. Yeah, there's a, there's an interesting gimmick having to do with time in that film. Obviously, when you know you, it's hard to detect the passage of time when the sun never sets. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then yeah, he, of course he did the franchise films, the Batman trilogy, um, which have their own interesting sci-fi concepts to them. 
some futuristic tech, especially in like Dark Knight that sort of directly tied to social commentary with like surveillance state and, um, the, oh, there were some AI like forensic tools that Batman uses in that film that kind of are reminiscent of some scenes in Tenet, you know, that where like he's testing out those bullet impacts in, in the Dark Knight, remember that scene? Uh, and he's like, he's basically creating a, a computer algorithm that's capable of taking fingerprints off of a, an impacted bullet, <laughs> like oh, a frag yeah. fragmented bullet. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I guess in theory, like if you uh, if trained a computer to analyze um, this these this ballistics debris. Um, you well, it's just it's it's. There, assuming there's a fingerprint on the bullet from yeah. when someone loaded it, I mean, we scan our fingerprints into computers all the time, mm -hmm. like touchscreens and stuff. Is isn't is that not simply what's yeah. going on? Well, it'd have to be a very specialized bullet that doesn't just totally deform upon impact. Oh, oh, right, right, right. right. Because the bullet hits the armor and gets squashed. So it's like, how do you recover a, a fingerprint from that? Well, it was in a wall. It's in like a drywall. So it, yeah, it would make it wouldn't necessarily get squashed you know it's a it's a bizarre concept but you know you see in this film here the the bullets that behave you know like they're moving backwards through time and and that's probably the part of this film that i have a the hardest time wrapping my mind around and i thought that was maybe some sort of like cool jedi thing where like in order to interact with the objects that are moving backwards through time, it just has to be this like instinctive thing. That's and, how she describes it in the yeah. beginning. And that got me jazzed. I was like, wow, you have to, you have to really commit to the idea that you've already done this thing in the future. And that is what's contingent on the motion of the object. Yeah. It's just this like cool sort of mystical thing. Kind of like that crazy movie wanted where you've got those, characters who can like bend the bullets and things like that you know i i thought that was kind of gonna play sort of a bigger role and i think it does to play a role throughout the film just the fact that you can't overthink any of this stuff or else you'll right. just be stifled um there's a similar line in the movie looper by ryan johnson did you ever see that no. also involving time travel yeah i'm really i don't know what to make of of time travel films anymore really because they all like none of the none of the systems seem to actually work um and yeah. so you have to like suspend your disbelief I, I mean of course you do but like you really really do like no matter what system they try to use whether it's closed loop or the others well you and i are time traveling right now at one second per second uh, uh -huh. but and and that is like the sole limiting factor to our existence the fact that we can't change the direction of time or we can't manipulate the flow of time but we can move left or right forward backward up or down you know we have control yep. over that dimensionally right yeah i think that's why humans love music so much is because if we sync up to music then it makes us kind of forget that we're trapped within this one particular temporal paradigm that we can't escape, which is time. Time itself is an abstraction that without human perception of it isn't obvious. Yeah. Um, and that, that's it's, kind of fascinating. There's like a God's eye view that transcends time 
mm-hmm. um, if if we think about it. Um, and who knows what type of intelligent forces might have access to this extra dimensional plane, you know, that we don't. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, certainly, if there is if there is a divine entity mm-hmm. that would have access to that. Um, or, or entities, you know, entities. Yeah. Um, I really like, oh gosh. Um, C.S. Lewis's space trilogy. Um, the, the beings that move around in the, um, oh, what is, oh my gosh, what's the word? It's one of my favorite words for space. Um, Cosmos? No, that's uh, a good one, but, uh, it starts with an E, I think. Um, M- oh, an Empyrean, an Empyrean ocean. Um, Empyrean. Let me not, not familiar with that. that word. Um, Empyrean relating to the heaven or sky. Okay. Um, so yeah. And, and, and in various, uh, etymological ancestry, uh, like the highest part of heaven or relating. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, well, so funny he, that he describes, up- he yeah. describes, oh, in ancient cosmologies, the Empyrean heaven, or simply the Empyrean, was the place of the highest heaven and occupied by the element of fire or um, the highest of the heights of, of God. And so to describe space and dimensions uh, and then like beings that move through dimensions that we don't as yeah. like they're moving through the Empyrean is like, I, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, you could, go, you could go one dimension beyond what humans are capable of perceiving and you know just conceive of a being that can traverse forwards and backwards in time a la doctor who and then there could even be stages above that uh mathematically there's nothing to disprove that Uh, right but and then it's interesting you bring up c.s lewis because i you and i obviously um as brothers we were raised the same we're both raised christian so that's a reference frame with which we are both familiar and uh, C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian uh, writer, theologian, um, also a fantasy writer, of course. But um, like this film, you know, you incorporate the God's eye view of Christian salvation. You know, it, it could be said that like our past and future sins are forgiven because that's how God works. He doesn't like discriminate between the past and the present and the future uh because right because he beholds it all at once essentially Mm -hmm. like he he knows he knows the whole story or has seen it um yeah so i think that's a a cool perspective to take into account if you're one to hold to you know christian beliefs surrounding uh salvation however if, if you believe that every action that you you know perform in the future if whether sinful or not like if that's all going to be forgiven you know, that might lead to licentious behavior. And I think for many Christians, it does. I think a lot of Christians can be very like licentious and sinful and corrupted uh, because. Yeah. And that's like wrong. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, they're just in a state of grace, uh, but they're I, just neglecting the fact that if, if you want to be close to the vine, which requires a certain state of, forgiveness by the divine so that you can you know, live in sort of a relationship to that um that entity or concept you know that will imply that you live your life in a state of harmony with the universe and with 
the divine with the the surrounding world I, AKA which implies this, yes yeah you're you're not sinning you're you're more righteous i mean mm. you're you're get... aligning yourself with the the divine order and you know it, it's not mm-hmm. it's not i'm i'm forgiven for all time now i have a free license to do anything and whatever i want and, and that has no consequence it's like no understanding that every action and everything i do does have consequence uh, on a scale yes. that we can't even perhaps comprehend well that we can't comprehend um yes. but just being aware of that and the gravity of that and that is uh, mm-hmm. you know and and um, this is not me being preachy at all like no 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 because i because I, I mean like i think i'm that i think that's something that everyone has to like come everyone probably thinks about or has to come to grips with it's like do my actions in this world matter or don't they and then to what degree do they and what does even matter what's even meaning you know etc and that's meta now we've gone metaphysical entirely um but yeah episode has been very metaphysical which i love yeah right because christopher i mean he's not dealing he doesn't well he doesn't um outright deal with metaphysics in tenet um well does he you you have that uh gosh do i want to bring this up like the moment at the end where a certain character makes a decision and the question is posed as to whether he really has to or not like we've already made it past this point why do you have to go back and put yourself at risk and yeah this belief or this commitment to his duty and sort of the question whether things are preordained you know whether this is a deterministic timeline or if things can change um that's sort of left up in the air by this film although it does play things in a very sort of deterministic fashion as the events play out on screen it does leave you open to the idea of like you know the parallel universes you know multiple worlds uh, philosophy or theory that you know i definitely get this i don't think no i don't it seemed like no one didn't want to get into alternate dimensions and parallel universes like mm-hmm. you know because that's an easy way to write off time, tra- time travel of any kind or mm-hmm. some you know a way to make it work it's like oh it's just that it's another universe mm-hmm. so consequence free essentially mm-hmm. um yeah i i kind of more subscribe to that i i guess it is kind of a cheat because it's like time travel in reality isn't the most practical thing to focus on you know <laughs> to spend too much mental energy thinking about Unless you're writing a fi- uh, you know a fictional story, yeah, uh, like and that exact like I love that there. I mean, there's lots of people on this planet, and I love that there are those who you know want to like who play those thought games like a- as long and as far as they possibly can. Um, and then you know, uh, here we are. Yeah. Just I I guess primer as, as organic creatures moving yeah. through a, a universe, you know, and I, <laughs> I don't know. Like the movie Primer is a good example of a closed loop time travel story. I haven't seen it. I started it, but it was like super late and I just didn't finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I wonder if there are any, I wonder if anyone's like on Reddit or something, like posted examples of where they think they like saw or encountered something happening in that what happened happened. Like they're yeah. clearly seeing something that is happening. Like they're seeing someone who traveled back in time doing something. Like, oh, I, I, I mean, don't know if you'd even know, but. If you trawl the waters of the paranormal, you know, that, that whole subculture, then yes, there are lots of accounts of time travelers or 
you know, missing time, time slips, people wandering through a forest and suddenly they come upon a civilization where people are totally unaware of modern technology, but then, you know, they, you know, they leave and then come back to that same place and either it's in ruins or it's no, no longer there. Well, that's the Fae, bro. <laughs> that's straight up the Fae. And I well, the, you could totally have both. open to the concept of the Fae. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not both? Yes, why and. not? Yeah. Oh, which would then, that's a perfect segue for me saying what I would love to see Nolan do, which is a fantasy film. Oh, yes. Um, I think, and uh, I, I've said this before, and I think I, I think I still hold to this. I would love to see him do an adaptation of The Magician's Nephew, the first uh, Narnia mm. story, because that deals with... Um, alternate universes in a, in a really fascinating way and uh cosmos the creation of a world the creation of a universe um the relationships its inhabitants have how they travel back and forth between those worlds and how it's like magic but it's magic that is uh, dependent on physical and metaphysical realities like you know there are I, there's because there's a great line where um uh, you know, the, the, the uncle is explaining, I've got these magic rings and what they'll do is they'll take you to another world. And the kid's like, like another planet. And he's like, no, no. And, and another universe with different, an entirely different substructure of rules potentially. And it's like, whoa. So that's big brain stuff. And it's really fun oh, um, because sure. it's mad. It's magic, but it's like not just magic, you know, in a way yeah. it kind of is just magic, but it's, you know, interesting. It's the magic of, Metaphysics. You hit sense. the nail yeah. on the head. I totally agree, and it can involve mirrors. That, yes. That's well, kind of I mean, the the wood between the worlds is full of these little pools that are mirrors. You know, you you yeah. step into them. You you step into them, and that's how you enter these uh, other. You know, I love the wood between the worlds. I the idea that that's the like the space between spaces that like all the dimension and, and time is connected to. I, I love that. And there are also like um, little trees that have doors on them that are shaped in like these ornate, like representing almost as if uh, they're a of the holidays, like these, <laughs> these trees that have jack-o'-lanterns and Easter eggs. Yes. Honestly, Philip, is there, is there a more, a more dope in, in uh, beginning of any movie than nightmare before Christmas? Yeah, pretty much not. The idea that there is this forest out there where there are trees that have doors in them that you go into holes and you enter freaking Christmas town. That it's just so matter of fact. There's just these, and it's the most popular sort of cliche holidays that that you could name. But it's just so perfect. It's so perfect. I, yeah, it literally pans around to all of them, and it's like you know. But that's a big wood. It's a big wood. There's big, it's a big there forest. There could be so. a Kwanzaa tree out there somewhere. Boxing Day and. <laughs> um, etc but um yeah so but if not an adaptation of magician's nephew a fantasy film itself um in general because mm -hmm. but yeah as i understand it we're trying to prevent world war three nuclear holocaust no something worse All I have for you is a word. Tell it. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. You have to start looking at the world in a new way. Don't try to understand it. 
feel it. What happened here? Hasn't happened yet. We haven't talked about Interstellar too much, or I mean, even Inception too. And, and there's really not too much to say. Like the driving piece of technology in Inception, I guess, is this device that allows people to share dreams, which is pretty cool. My favorite, um, my favorite thing. And the, the dreams in Inception are surprisingly not that fantastical. Maybe a product of the fact that these are shared dreams, so you can't go too fantastical with them. Uh, there's, a, there's a concept. And that's a, and that's a highly, you just words, use the word salient. That's a highly salient or I find believable concept. Like the idea of us inventing that kind of technology is um, like, I, I buy that. Yeah. I but just, that's I like really traveling do. to an alternate dimension too. I, I guess, you know, you could compare it to just psychedelics, you know, psilocybin, mushrooms, things like that. Ayahuasca, you know, sometimes these are shared experiences by multiple people. Um, the... You know, this isn't like a podcast. Now, all of a sudden, we become the Joe Rogan experience talking about psychedelics, uh, which <laughs> I've never DMT. attempted. <laughs> no, but I've heard people talk about like DMT and MK oh, Ultra. Yes. If we, I don't want to go down any rabbit, any oh, more rabbit. Well, holes. we were talking about, were we talking about the deep state? No, but. Um, no, and I don't want to. <laughs> the, the paranormal subreddits. Uh, I don't know anything. No. Disclaimer. <laughs> I, um, I don't know what, we've been talking about Tenet. We've used the word physics and metaphysics. I don't know anything about physics. Okay. Uh, interstellar. Interesting. Like the, the whole concept of discovering a device that can manipulate gravity through interpreting Morse code taps on a stopwatch. Brilliant. You know, it's very Love it. Wait, what? Oh, <laughs> It just seems bizarre. It seems so is so whack. I love it. I love it with all to my heart. Quote the wow. the blank check podcast. I it's just kind of sweaty uh, that <laughs> that this scientific um, thesis, shall we say, this dissertation, this you know revelation about the laws of gravity is being tapped out in Morse code in the most obscure fashion. Um, but yeah, it's, I guess technically, yeah, you can communicate whatever you want using Morse code. It just might take a while. <laughs> um, I don't know. You, you get my drift though, like how that movie revolves around this very, yeah, just totally outlandish concept. You know, the, the human, it's human society is hanging by a thread and, you know, by the grace of God, Matthew McConaughey doesn't just get totally annihilated when he goes into a black hole, but instead gets transported to an ultimate, alternate, like fifth dimension, the Tesseract or whatever. He and yeah, he enters the Tesseract. Beautiful. With uh, his robot friend who's capable of like deciphering the, the algorithm, shall we say, yeah. <laughs> that <algorithm>. allows... <laughs> <laughs> that allows for human manipulation of space time or, or gravity or whatever it is that. And that, oh, yeah. that is dope. Like there's there, mm -hmm. that was so dope. It's so dope to watch that happen. And it's like, I don't like, you know, it's just creative. It's so creative. It's imaginative. It's dope. I don't know if any of it, like, like I said, it's this. You yeah. Said, I don't I have nothing else to add. Other than that's what, well, I, I think, and again, why I kind of go back to inception being like my personal favorite, maybe one of the more just cohesive and coherent is like, the concept is you share dreams and you go in dreams. Like that's, that's kind of it. And then interstellar, it was like, okay, so this is about 
gravity and and manipulating gravity and you know space and it's like you could kind of but no one didn't leave it at that he had to do the morse code thing or like he had to add this other element this other like key to making it happen and then tenant you know instead of the concept just being there are inverted items here's a story about inverted items it's inverted items time travel interacting with yourself turnstiles it kind of just you know yeah on and on and And like like with that sort of straining credulity you know premise that i brought up regarding morse code and the and the wristwatch or whatever the is it a wristwatch or a pocket watch um it's probably not a pocket watch which but anyways by tapping on the the second hand and being able to generate all this data uh you know similar i guess in fashion to like the fact that in this movie the protagonist john david washington would have any clue as to how to navigate the pitfalls of what he's attempting but he does and then he goes on to sort of master it we find out and then he has all this you know off-screen business that is alluded to where he does he becomes the founder of tenet essentially um and he's the one primarily responsible for reckoning with this you know evil force from the future um that's been that's that's co-opted or conscripted this one traitorous uh cancer ridden uh russian warlord uh who who agrees to uh, perform the mass uh, extinction event using the, the tenant device. Uh, I just, just thought of this. Um, <laughs> no, no one's okay. So a, a key difference between Inception and earlier Nolan films versus the more recent ones is the world stakes. Um, mm-hmm. Tenet and Interstellar had like the fate of the world in the balance. Um, Inception did not. Inception was a guy doing a job yeah like a mer- and i and i love that i think um I, I don't obviously have a problem with the world stakes but it's just that increases the need to like that's what kind of st- stretches the credulity some somewhat uh i don't know what you think or if you agree yeah well and even the task of successfully pulling off uh, an inception you know this this objective that they're trying to achieve that some people believe can't be done, like to to try to convince someone without convincing them, so to speak. Yeah, that has, I mean, that has far reaching implications, of course, but for the characters, at least their stakes are not the fate of the world hangs in the balance. Yeah. Um, It's it's kind of like, it's for a paycheck and I love that. It's a true height, it's a true heist film, but that goes into dreams. Mm-hmm. just i don't know he really does something where he makes some of the most unbelievable premises just believable enough to really upend a person's view of of reality essentially to to make us consider things that we may might never have previously considered mm-hmm. like the concept of inception or of <laughs> of time inversion or what could be inside of a black hole um i don't know it's it's really bizarre it's almost like he's a prophet <laughs> i 
I guess that's the thesis of this episode. Sure. Uh, Christopher Nolan, the prophet. No. <laughs> yeah. If nothing else, um, he is able to reach a, a very wide audience with concepts that, you know, because like anyone can can look this stuff up and watch a YouTube video or read a Wikipedia page or, or go to school for it. But your average summer blockbuster movie goer who just wants to see the the cool movie where the trailer had the city street go upside down and, you know, mm-hmm. then they're, you know, munching their popcorn and going, holy crap, like these are ideas I've never had before and then get some thinking. So I, mm-hmm. no one hats off to you. I don't know how you did it, but you, you lurk in Hollywood and uh, well, I don't know if how much you work in Hollywood or how much you work in London. Oh, yeah. But, I, yeah. I uh, guess um, I know Dunkirk was filmed in LA a significant, what? significant part of it. They couldn't yeah. film on Dunkirk. Um, they probably did probably some, a little bit, yeah. But uh, there were like they used a lot of the water tanks in Los Angeles for the uh, water scenes. Water tanks. Oh, those got to be just scuzzy by this point. <laughs> um, yeah. Jack Sparrow's spit is still floating around in those things. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure JK. where they filmed this, but I'm sure they they used a variety of locations. Uh, just a major endeavor. Um, lots of great set pieces. It's such yeah. an enjoyable ride. If if all you're down for is a, a heist movie or James Bond style espionage thriller, uh, this film doesn't disappoint. We haven't even gotten into Robert Pattinson, who he's terrific. Yeah, <laughs> um, who what a turn. I mean, he just must have had that it factor from the start and. You know, he he took those Twilight films as a nice paycheck to just get himself established. Um, and and I, I have nothing against the, t- the Twilight films. Um, just that, Really? <laughs> I, I mean, they, they are a, a kind of pu- punchline among, you know, certain subsets of the film criticism crowd. And uh, the fact I don't have I don't have anything existentially against them, um, but yeah, I, I I'm fine with them being a punchline. I, I think that's that's fine and, and perhaps warranted. But you know, I I'm not gonna. That, my gosh, like what a! Of course, those films have an audience, and I I don't think that audience is 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 dumb for having the for uh, being appealed yeah. to by those films. They're so. films that didn't demand a whole lot of the. I mean every film demands a lot of the actors, but like in terms of range and stuff, I, you know, it really they're not known for their acting. Yeah. 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 More, more for being attractive, certainly. The, but I always knew, I, well, I, I don't want to sound like Kristen kind of- Stewart and Robert Pattinson have gone on to have very successful careers in the aftermath of those films. However, yes. like they, they do have great reputations as actors. So no, you know, disparaging of them whatsoever. What were you going to say? No, I think that was it. I mean, just knowing, well, Robert Pattinson, I loved him in Goblet of Fire. I mean, it was clear oh, that he, yeah. he knew he knew his stuff. And then, like, he was an obvious choice for star of, do you know who the second choice to play El- Edward Elric was in Twilight? Not Edward. Edward, <laughs> Edward Cullen, Cullen in um, Twilight. Uh, hmm, well, could I potentially name... Um, I wanted to say like Orlando Bloom, but he would have been too old, probably. Too old. Uh, too old. Yeah, who is it? Ben Barnes. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. 
Um, there's that other guy who was in the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I can't really think. Um, Le- Claflin, Sam Claf- Claflin. Remember him? Was he the was he the, the preacher pre- dude? Yeah. Freaking love that subplot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted the sequel to be about them. Yeah. Why not? Pirates of the Caribbean five, whose subtitle I don't even remember. <laughs> dead dead, dead man, man. Tell no dead tales. Dead man. Tell no tales. This has to be one of the worst movies ever made. I haven't haven't heard people talk about it. Um, I literally have, I never saw a review on YouTube when that movie came out, but maybe I wasn't looking. Um, But yeah, Yeah. I, uh, I would have maybe seen it if I heard one person say it was worth watching, but (laughs) I, I didn't see a single. It's not like it didn't have some pirates of the Caribbean fun. Why am I talking about this during the tenant review? But it's not like it didn't have some Pirates of the Caribbean fun. Like obviously, yeah. you know, th- sure, I can see that. You know, that it's that's worth the price of admission. Swords and ships and etc. But man, anyway, all right. Yeah. Well, um, John David Washington should be. I mean, I I was gutted when Chadwick Boseman died. I've oh. never felt that just impacted by a celebrity death that was Out of insane. absolute nowhere um but if they were to recast black panther uh i would i think jdw should get uh yeah get a good look he's, aw- he's awesome mm-hmm. um and uh um uh it, it, he'll be nominated for best actor because 10 movies came out this year <laughs> yeah exactly so. Uh, he great. I mean, he was great in that um, Black Klansman film. Yes, yes, yes. I, I did not see that. But okay, I heard. Yeah. I heard. Well, both of them got nom- nominated for something. I, I know Adam Driver, did, oh. or did Adam Driver get nominated for something else? No, Marriage. For, I don't know. Adam Driver was in so many movies, nominated for everything yeah. in the last few years. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny how um, David Duke was played by. Ah, oh, frick. <laughs> An interesting term by a comedy actor, Topher. Topher Grace. Remember him from Spider-Man 3? Yes. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. His, his career has had some ups and downs, but I think he's kind of leveled out as of late. Um, yeah. Are Topher Grace and Justin Timberlake not the same person? No. Topher Grace was in That 70s Show with Ashton Kutcher. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's most famous for. Uh, and then he had like a comedy that just massively bombed. And I think Red Letter Media has talked about it. Uh, it's uh, the, the film, Take Me Home Tonight, one of the most infamous failures as a, as a comedy, oh, a comedy vehicle. That. That's incredible. Um, I, whenever I see, it's just I picture Topher Grace's face and I see Justin Timberlake. I don't know, maybe that's only me, but take me home tonight. Yeah, Topher Grace, Anna Faris, Dan Fogler, Teresa Palmer. Oh, speaking of uh, cute blondes, uh, Fleur Delacour. Oh, yeah, she was in this movie. The, the scene the tenant? with the yeah, Tenet with you know the bullets. That's her- who it was. Yes. Oh. It was making me crazy. Wow. It's good to see her again. Yeah. She, I, I kept thinking like, you've got that like newer Bond girl vibe going. Um, but I didn't think that was it. Uh, 
the Bond girl from. Oh, I, I thought that was her too. Leah Seidel. Oh, I'm not crazy then. Okay. Yeah. Love her. Man. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, this is uh, Cl- Clemence Posey or something is her name. Um, who plays Flora Delacour. Uh, yeah. Clemence Posey. She's like French, so I can't mm-hmm. say her name totally. Clemence Posey. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, she should do more things. All right. So, yeah, we're obviously kind of all over the board on this movie and definitely recommend people check out Tenet because there's a lot that this film has to offer. Uh, I've only seen it once. It was tempting to revisit it just so there'd be greater clarification for the podcast. But I mostly just kind of referenced you know, articles and I you know, needed some clarification by going on Reddit to, to uh, try to understand some of the, the concepts that they put forward. Um, and that helped quite a bit. But uh, overall, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if I would rank this. You know, I, this could end up being my top, you know, three um, Christopher Nolan films. Um, Dawson, you're still there, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, the my one of my favorite Christopher Nolan films, I would say potentially my favorite is Batman Begins, just because it's such a perfect Dude, yeah. origin, origin story. Man, is that the lamest of my top three Nolan films is uh, one, Inception, two, The Dark Knight, three, Batman Begins, or maybe even reverse. I, I, I probably have to say Dark Knight better than Batman Begins, but no. Um, I, uh, it, and then, those were some solid films. And he had carte blanche. Yeah. And then probably, probably prestige, even though again, like it's just this emotional memory because like, yeah, I saw it so long ago, but prestige after that. Prestige is great. Um, Dark Knight Rises, you know, it's it's a bad rap. Okay. I I don't, I, uh, no. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I think I've, I think I've watched a few in-depth reviews about like why it suffers um, but I still just love it. Um, I, I really, yeah. I don't that know. movie, it doesn't have too many sci-fi elements, you know, on the same like explicit level as some as his other films. Essentially, there's like a fusion reactor device, you know, that then gets turned into a, a nuclear bomb, um, but it doesn't dwell on the mechanics of like nuclear technology or anything like that yeah i don't think i'm as bothered as like batman fans by the by what batman does in the movie like the a common complaint is that batman doesn't do batman stuff enough or like he's not even in it enough or he's you know whatever i kind of just i don't know i didn't i didn't that didn't really bother me um he spends half his time in a hole you know was my back broken and Etc. Yeah, I mean the Robin tie in people hate. <laughs> I I guess I'm not. I can't remember exactly why, but I, I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I, I love thought, Joseph. Yeah. Um, oh oh, it's the what's what's your name, honey? Like, Robin or your real or like my name is John or like what's your real name? Robin. It's like <laughs> oh yeah, because his character was like raised on the streets and was in and out of foster care and things like that. So he he didn't go by his birth name in real life uh so yeah it's revealed at the end that his you know his birth name is robin which i guess it could be anything but of course they chose robin because of his significance 
My name is Ray. Even though in all oh. the in all the comics for Batman, you know, Robin isn't his actual name. It's you know Dick Grayson or um, yeah. what's the, the other Chris Todd or whatever it is. There's a couple. Uh, There's several, and yeah. then Nightwing. Uh, apart from that, Night- I don't know anything. Dick Grayson. I know nothing about it. It's DC. Yeah, Dick Grayson yeah. goes on to become Nightwing. Um, uh, it's, it's some Jason Todd. That's what it is. Um, and he's he's the Robin that usually gets. I think in multiple iterations, he's gotten killed off, but including potentially like the Justice League uh, iteration on the on the DC universe. Um, yeah, Dark Knight Rises. I certainly enjoyed it. I had a whole lot of fun seeing it in the theaters. Um, but yeah, it's more of a human story about resilience. Kind of the the pivotal emotional beat of that film is like the the philosophy regarding the rope how uh you know the only way you can escape the pit is uh don't jump with with the rope because <laughs> it'll hold you back even though it's the one thing you know keeping you from death uh, it, it is the one thing keeping you from you know propelling yourself to greater heights <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense does it, it? Oh, it just means you have to fully commit to something. No, I know. I get. I get it thematically, but but practically, I guess. Yeah. Why Why couldn't you just train uh, yourself? You know, through repeated endurance challenges. You know, to to be able to make the leap with the rope wrapped around your your uh, <laughs> waist. You know, that uh, just reminded me of the best rope film in cinema, which is in the the latest Pixar Onward. <laughs> oh yeah 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 that, oh gosh what a what a what a scene the they leap. don't make scenes especially not in a kid's film holy cow the, the <laughs> leap from the lion's head yes um, um that that was very a good good analog um and with all that being said um thank you for listening to the podcast um this has been our discussion on christopher nolan's tenet from Warner Brothers Studios, Warner Brothers Pictures. Um, Dawson, where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram um, at Dawson Delwyn Elke. Mm-hmm. And uh, they can find, you can find the Thodcast uh, at Thodcast.com, at Thodcast on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we're streaming on iTunes, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, and yeah thank you once again and uh find me philip elke on twitter and instagram at philip elke uh wow what a discussion it's been super fun super uh, fun very i mean petty. no one movies they don't happen all every day so <laughs> no yeah. they don't that we can spend uh, two hours on that I'm yeah i'm sorry if it wasn't if, if there was so much no i'm running out of steam but, but i i think it's been good. my uh, ability to form sentences has rapidly diminished over the course of this episode and I'm a stammering mess but uh, thanks so much for listening and as we like to say um, and as I often say out of order but I think I will settle on the order uh, have a magical day have a wonderful week and as we uh, frozen fans like to say warm hugs to all you out there you